Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. I want you to join me today and tomorrow as we talk about the subject of liberating your faith. How many times you said when something didn't work, ah, I don't have enough faith. That's not the problem. We're going to find out that faith can do anything if you will keep unbelief out of the way. Let's get to the Word of God today and find out how to operate free from unbelief. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. Welcome again to Student of the Word. Glad you're with us today. I'm going to be teaching a, a series, just a couple of days, on the subject of unbelief. We're going to talk about hindrances to your faith and liberating your faith. In fact, this particular lesson comes from a series that we're offering on these two broadcasts about liberating your faith. And so it's really getting back to uh, the essence of faith. I was raised under the faith message. I worked for Kenneth Hagin for a number of years and just, it literally changed my life when I saw the simplicity of faith. But then I also saw people carry it way to the extreme and, and odd things were taught out of it and all that. But one thing that I, I kind of disagreed with in the beginning, but I didn't totally understand it as to why, but so many people started saying that faith was the meat of God's word. Once you understood faith, you understood the meat of God's word. And I was studying one day in 2 Peter chapter 1, and, and I noted there, let me, let me read the verse to you. It's uh, in verse 5, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brother, brotherly kindness, and then to brotherly kindness, add love, which is agape love. And I noted in there that faith was the foundation. You add to it, you add to it, you add to it, and the top floor was love. To be honest with you, walking in faith sometimes is easier compared in walking to love toward other Christians. So really love is the top floor of the Christian life. Faith is the entry level into the Christian life because that's how you got saved. You heard the gospel, faith came by hearing, hearing by the word of God, you acted on it, and what was given to you was the measure of faith. And so from that point, you can add to your faith. And uh, we're going to talk about that, and so the built faith can be built up. But the ultimate thing that feeds your faith and causes it to grow is love toward others around you. Why? Because some people are tough to love, and others are easier to love. But walking in love toward believers and even toward the world is really what causes that faith to grow. And so we're going to talk about that today. In fact, I want you to turn with me in the Word of God to Luke chapter 17. We're going to talk today about liberating your faith. And honestly, what I'm teaching on, on faith, is really called, I call it the milk of God's Word. If it is the entry level, if faith is the entry level into your Christian life, then faith is the milk of the Word of God. And we work up from there into eating the meat of God's Word, which is walking in love toward each other. Again, as I have said, that really walking in faith can be easier compared to walking in love toward people. You say, well, you know, I, we've studied this before. This is foundational stuff. Okay, we agree this is the milk of God's Word. But let me just simply say this. You never leave milk. Oh, no, I don't drink milk anymore. I haven't had a glass of milk in a long time. Milk is something you start with all by itself, but as you grow, grow from babyhood into childhood, into adulthood, milk is mixed in with everything. I mean, cakes 
and pancakes and uh, sauces and gravies and things like that. It's just woven into it. And milk is always there. You never leave the essence of faith, but it's woven into so many other subjects in the word of God. And again, this is the milk of God's word. So in essence, what we're gonna do for a day or two on this broadcast is this is a glass of milk. We are coming back to the essence of understanding our entrance into the kingdom of God, our entrance in the plan of God. And this is learning to walk in faith. I love motorcycles. I don't have one. I had a couple of them. I would never have one again. I consider them to be suicide on two wheels. But in essence, I love them. I love cars too. And, I, you know, I don't, I like driving cars, four wheels underneath you. Had a couple of motorcycles and, oh, scared me so much. But I like motorcycles. I like to look at them, like to study them. And so I was watching uh, television one, you know, one night and they announced that for the next five nights, they were going to have a series on motorcycles. This is the Motor Trend Channel. And they had a special and they brought the five most exotic motorcycles in the world, the most expensive, the most well-built, the fastest in the world. And so I watched it each night and I was just fascinated. Ducati was on there and other brands, you know, that were really fast. And we often think of motorcycles, you know, as just those big things, you know, uh, you know, that we'd ride around on, you know, big heavy things, you know, and so that, that's American made ones, but these other ones are made for speed. The common denominator among all of them was this. They were hand-built and the designers of them had been driving in Formula One for a long time. They took the essence of Formula One driving and they put it into a motorcycle. And of course, every one of these were expensive. One night I was uh, watching and they had a, a brand on there never heard of, MV Augusta. And Mr. Augusta was on there and, and he too came out of Formula One racing and was talking about his motorcycle. And here's the, the difference between him and the other ones. The other ones were still mass produced. He only worked on one motorcycle at a time. You ordered it and no one else can have one built while yours is being built. But he said, don't you dare call me and ask me when it's going to be done. My answer will always be, it's done when it's done. And he said, we just work on them until they're done. His formula was this basically, is that when you ordered it, they started and they built it from the ground up one at a time. And everybody that worked on it, the, the uh, goal he had in front of them was make this one a little bit better than the one before. I want every motorcycle that comes out of here to be a little bit better than the motorcycle before try harder. Whatever you do, do better next time. And so when he first got his idea for this motorcycle and how to build the thing, uh, there was no motor engine that he that he found he liked. And he said most of them were big and uh, they were heavy like American ones. And uh, so when he, we think of Harley Davidson, that's the one we think of, it's just so heavy. But he said he didn't want anything heavy. The, the Harley Davidson engine, very heavy, uh, produces 55 horsepower. He wanted something larger uh, as far as horsepower, but smaller in far as size and weight. And so he went to Porsche and asked if they would develop a motorcycle engine. They said, we've never developed a motorcycle. We, all we do is cars. He said, I want you to develop one because I like your engines. Well, they worked on it for quite a long time. They finally came up with a lightweight four-cylinder engine. I mean, you see most other uh, motorcycle engines are two cylinders. This has four cylinders. They lay flat and the whole engine is very light. You can actually pick up the engine and it produced 95 horsepower, almost double what the larger American motorcycles do. And so as he built it uh, and uh, his his engine and he put it in there, he was talking to his crew when it finally came, everybody, I mean, the, especially the motorcycle engine department came and just, you know, almost salivated over this thing. This is a Porsche engine. Porsche's made this just for us. And he looked at it and said, I'm gonna ask you a question. He said, who built this engine? They said, Porsche. He said, no, people. 
People built this engine. If people built the engine, you can make it better because it's never perfect because people never do anything totally perfect and it can always be improved. He said, I want you to take this engine and every time, every day you look at it, look at it and figure, is there anything we can do to make this thing any more powerful? One of his men came back a few months later and said, sir, I've been studying it. And he said, I think the exhaust valve could be moved one one hundredth of an inch and it would increase the horsepower by at least a horse by about one. And so they did it, they tried it, and guess what? It increased it by two horsepower. They had a party that night. They dynoed the engine, found it to be a produced, and said 95 horsepower, 97 horsepower. And they had a party that night, but the next day they were back to work again. And every department did that, from handlebars and seats and everything, who, all, whoever worked on that particular part, strived their best to make it better than the one before. And so this engine, they kept looking at it, looking at over a period of 10 years, they did so many little tiny things to that engine that they increased it to 115 horsepower over 10 years from 95 horsepower, 20 more horsepower came out of that engine. And it's one of the finest engines in the world, one of the finest motorcycles in the world. Once you order it, don't, he said, don't you dare call me. He said, we'll call you when it's ready. The average cost of one motorcycle is $150,000. Now, again, I'm just telling you that in case you're a motorcycle fan, there you go. They asked Mr. Augusta, this was a one hour special, and the guy that was moderating the program said to Mr. Augusta, he said, where did this philosophy come from? He said, we were poor, very poor when we were growing up. He said, and uh, my mother made orange juice every morning. She went and there was a you know orange orchard next to us. They would just let her go get some oranges. She would take those oranges and she'd smash them and, and you know, get orange juice for us. But she didn't throw the rinds away until another day. The next day, she would take those wines and rinds and she would just smash them again until she got another drop or two out of it. And he said, I saw that's what life is. Life is trying to get one more drop today than you did yesterday and the day before. And he said, my whole philosophy is life, we sometimes throw away something that's got value in it. And he said, when we can keep on pushing and increase our life every single day, this is what faith is. Faith is one of those things you think, well, I've heard this lesson before. We're going to take that lesson of faith and we're going to smash it and twist it and everything else and try to get one more drop out of that lesson. I call this liberating your faith. There's a story in Luke chapter 17, verses five and six. And here we have the fact that the apostles were gonna cast out a, a, a demon and right now Jesus is giving them instruction in this, and they actually were, uh, they weren't casting out a devil at this time, but they were learning about faith, learning about how to operate in faith. And so uh, Jesus had come to them earlier and talked about walking in love toward other Christians, walking in love toward, love toward other believers and walking in love toward the world. And when they heard that, they said in verse five of Luke 17, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted into the sea and it would obey you. You know, when most Christians fail to receive an answer, our usual reply is to ourselves, if we're the ones that stepped out in faith or to someone else, well, I guess they didn't have enough faith. Well, let me ask you this, how much faith is enough? How much faith do you need to meet your need? Well, the problem is, again, we often look at situations and we have this one down pat thing, we need more faith. 
Well, let me just give you an example here. If you need more faith, such as to cast out a devil, you need more faith because you've got a financial need. You need more faith because you've got uh, a situation in your family where you know you need some uh, counsel, you need some wisdom from God, so you're, you're trusting God for that. If faith is what you need and you don't have enough of it, ask yourself a question. What's the biggest miracle I will ever experience in my whole life? It is salvation. And that little bit of faith was what you move from. Satan's kingdom, listen to this, when you get born again, that little bit of faith of which Jesus said in that verse of scripture was, again, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be picked up by the roots, planted in the seed, it would obey you. Jesus said, faith the size of a mustard seed would move a mulberry tree, actually pull it up by the roots and throw it into the ocean. Can you imagine that? But understand this, he's speaking about the necessities of life, the problems of life. How much faith do you need to meet your need? The biggest miracle you ever received was salvation. That little tiny amount of faith moved you from from Satan's kingdom into God's kingdom, Satan's family into God's family, from spiritual death into eternal life, from satanic darkness into the kingdom of life, why do you now need more faith for healing, finances, wisdom in a crisis or daily circumstances or direction when those things are so small compared to the big thing that faith did? If faith the size of a mustard seed can get you eternal life, move you from spiritual death into eternal life, then understand something, it can easily get you out of problems of crisis, daily circumstances or need of direction in your life today. We will continue right after halftime with this subject of, again, removing the hindrances from your faith. When it feels like your faith is weak and it seems like something is keeping you from reaching your calling, it's time to liberate your faith. At one point, Jesus told his disciples that their faith problem was actually an unbelief problem. They had all the faith they needed in their mustard seed faith, but it was being blocked by their unbelief. We are constantly attacked and distracted by the happenings in this world around us and by all of the things we see and hear that are not the Word of God. If we pay much attention to them, they fill our hearts with unbelief. Join Pastor Bob Yandian to learn how to combat all this unbelief and liberate your faith. Topics include understanding unbelief, starving your unbelief, and changing your desires. Order Liberating Your Faith on CDs or as an MP3 download by visiting bobyandian.com. Theology Simplified is a practical guide to foundational biblical truth. Basic doctrines are not difficult, but easy to understand. They often become disguised as complicated or deep-sounding words, but the definitions are simple. Pastor Bob makes complex theological concepts clear and practical. Eight crucial doctrines of the Christian faith are demystified. Redemption, justification, sanctification, reconciliation, predestination, election, propitiation, and glorification. These eight precepts, essential for all believers to understand, come to light as you read and arrive at a deeper understanding of the finished work of Jesus Christ. To order Theology Simplified, visit our website at bobyandian.com. 
Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. So how much faith did it take for you to be born again? Faith the size of a mustard seed. Imagine that so small. I remember years ago, they had necklaces and girls wore them. And uh, there was a little ball like this made out of glass. And in the middle of it, it had a mustard seed. Why did they put it in glass? So it could magnify it. Because without that magnification, you could hardly see a mustard seed. It was so tiny, so little. And God said, that little bit of faith is what brought you eternal life. So why do you now need more faith for healing? finances, wisdom in a crisis, daily circumstances or direction. Why do you look at that and say, well, I don't have enough faith. I need more faith to do these things. You know why? Because we can see visibly these problems in front of us. We couldn't see eternal life. We couldn't see the hell we were headed toward. We couldn't see the spiritual death we were living in, but God delivered us out of that through that little thing. And what I'm saying again, all other miracles in your life are small compared to that. If that little mustard seed could handle the greatest problem you will ever have, they can handle your daily problems. All other miracles in your life are temporary. Healing, financial needs, even being raised from the dead further than just healing, it's honestly just for this lifetime. It may last from the time you receive it until you die, but salvation is eternal. From the time you receive it through death and into eternity, you will have eternal life. This is why angels rejoice over your salvation and not your healing, not your financial blessing or being raised from the dead. Nothing will ever compare with the power displayed by God at your salvation a mustard seed of faith released you into the exceeding greatness of God's power that raised Jesus from the dead. Imagine that, that little tiny seed. That's what was responsible for getting you born again and displaying God's exceeding greatness of power, which raised Jesus from the dead, now directed toward you to bring you eternal life. So I simply ask you a question. After you're born again, why now do you need a mountain of faith to move a mustard seed? If a mustard seed of faith saved you, it will deliver you. You don't need more faith. You just need to use what you have. You know what? Jesus' disciples later faced a similar situation. In Matthew, Jesus was called to cast out a demon from a young boy because his disciples had failed. The father then turned to Jesus for his son's deliverance. And in Matthew chapter 17, we are told in verses 18 through 19, and Jesus rebuked the devil. And he departed out of him, and the child was cured at that time. Then the disciples came to Jesus apart and said, Why couldn't we cast him out? They were confused at their failure, and they were confused at Jesus' success. Why? Because they had been successful before. In Matthew chapter 10, and verse 1, Jesus gave his disciples authority over unclean spirits and over every type of sickness. And when they went out, in fact, they went out almost immediately to try that demon part. He says, I give you authority over unclean spirits, every type of sickness. And they went out because they wanted to see if they really had authority over demons. They went out to use their authority over evil spirits and came back rejoicing that demons were subject to them in Luke chapter 10 and verse 17. They said, oh, 
all demons are subject. I like what Jesus said. He said, guys, don't rejoice that demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You know what he was simply saying? No matter what you're doing again, that's just temporary. You cast out a temporary demon from a person and that person is delivered. And you know what? Even if they never have another demon come back, it only is gonna last for another 30, 40 years until they die. But the moment you get born again, your name is in heaven. It is eternally in heaven. He's simply saying, get your priorities back on spiritual things. So again, that was Luke 10, 17. They came back rejoicing that the demons were subject to them. But in Matthew chapter 17 was only one of many times they met a demon, but why weren't they successful this time? I mean, between uh, the event when Jesus gave them that authority and here in Matthew chapter 17 was quite a few months and they were casting out devils, casting out devils, casting out devils, and they came to this one and they were not successful. Mark chapter nine really fills this in. I'm not gonna go into what all it says, but in verses 14 through 27, it fills in the blanks of this story and tells us what really happened, but it fills it in details that was not given here in the verse we're looking at. In that particular story, which was not told here, the disciples were surrounded by a large multitude that was watching them, scrutinizing them. This, I mean, they were in the streets and all these people were around watching what they were doing. And uh, a number of Pharisees were there also and were arguing with him, questioning them, throwing spiritual questions at him. And the boy also fell on the ground, wallowed and foamed from his mouth before they tried to cast out the demon. And then here's what happened. The disciples were publicly humiliated for the first time because they were publicly examined. They were publicly scrutinized and questioned. This had never happened before. So the disciples were publicly examined for the first time. And before this time, they were in homes or away from crowds. Now the pressure was on. All eyes were on them. The people were skeptical. The Pharisees were antagonistic or argumentative. And the disciples failed in public, in fact, in front of a crowd. Jesus still did not question the amount of their faith. He, they, had, he had, they had brought up the question before, do we need more faith? And Jesus still didn't question the amount of their faith. What he talked about was the power of unbelief. Before this time, again, they had not been around anybody. They had no pressure on them and they could do it without anybody watching. But the moment the people were watching, the moment there was skepticism, the moment there was religious unbelief around them, the disciples crumbled under all that. And Jesus walked in and cast out that devil. The father was so happy. The boy was so happy and the crowd was rejoicing. Of course, the Pharisees were upset, but Jesus wasn't bothered by who was around him, but the disciples were. Let's continue on in that story. In Matthew 17 and verse 20, after they tried, they were unsuccessful. Then Jesus came and he cast out the devil. In Matthew 17, 20, it says this, Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. This is why they said, why couldn't we cast out this devil? He said, because of your unbelief. For truly I say to you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, there's that term again. What he said before about the mulberry tree is now gonna be brought to a mountain. He says, if you have faith as the grain of a mustard seed, that little tiny thing, you'll say to this mountain, remove from here to another place, that's the seed, and it will be removed and nothing will be impossible 
to you. Notice this, a mustard-sized seed of faith, a mustard seed so small you can barely see it. The same faith you received when you got born again can now begin to move trees and mountains. What's the difference between the tree and the mountain? The size of it. The tree may look big to you, but on top of that, you compare it to a mountain and you begin to realize this little bit of faith can move that. Yeah. Why are you looking for more faith when the thing is this little tiny seed of mustard seed got you born again, brought you out of Satan's kingdom to God's kingdom, brought you eternal life. And listen, this thing can move a tree, even pull it up by the roots and throw it into the ocean, but also it can pick up a mountain and remove it. So small problems, gigantic problems, or anything in between, it's all saying here by what Jesus said is, your faith, the size of a mustard seed, can move anything. Again, Jesus tells them the faith they have is enough. Quit looking for more faith. Faith the size of a mustard seed will move an implanted tree and a mountain to the ocean. The mustard seed of faith that saved you will deliver you from small or large problems, and it will set other people free. It's not the size of the problem. It's not a tree being small or a mountain being large. It's the power of your faith. There was a song done years ago. I remember growing up, and I guess I was a teenager at the time. I don't remember quite who sang it. Might have been, I think it might have been Frank Sinatra. But the ant was going to move a rubber tree plant, and that was the, the song. And called, the song was called High Hopes. But this ant had high hopes, and he saw a rubber tree plant, and he was going to move that thing. And he kept trying and trying, and he had high hopes. And guess what happened? The ant finally moved the rubber tree plant. They talked about, you see that rubber tree plant moving? What you would do is go, how's that rubber tree plant moving? Well, you'd have to pick it up and look underneath, and there's a tiny little ant under there moving this thing. And you say, well, that sounds impossible. Have you ever gone out for a picnic and there's a little piece of cake that's moving away and you look down there and say, how's that cake moving? You pull it up, there's an ant underneath it because that ant is moving that piece of cake. Look under the cake and you'll see the ant. Under a moving tree and under a moving mountain, you'll see a mustard seed. The problem is not faith, but with the resistance of unbelief. Jesus said to them, it's not the lack of faith. The faith is enough. He said, the problem is, is because of unbelief. If unbelief is not present, faith can move anything. The life of faith has never been intended to be a tug of war. So don't work on your faith, work on the unbelief. And this is what Jesus is instructing. The disciples had been faced with unbelief because there was a crowd around, a crowd of people who were looking at them and wondering about them. Also, there was the Pharisees who were making fun of them or else throwing problems at them, throwing uh, things that they could not answer at them. And then on top of that, the boy fell on the ground, was foaming from the mouth, and the disciples literally just fell apart. And they didn't know what they did wrong afterwards, but Jesus came and told them in this particular case. He said, listen, what I've told you before about the mulberry tree is the same thing with a mountain. A mountain can be removed by the same seed of faith that saved you. The seed the size of a mustard seed, faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain and it can move a tree. So again, the thing is the life of faith was never intended to be a tug of war. And what we have is here's your faith on one side, which is able to move anything. But the one thing that can stop it that's pulling in the wrong direction on it is your unbelief. It has to be simple faith where no unbelief is present. If there is no unbelief present, faith can move anything. Jesus walked in unmoved by the crowd, unmoved by the Pharisees, 
unmoved by the fact the child was foaming at the mouth and everything made it look harder, harder, harder. The disciples saw that and couldn't do it. And Jesus just did it because why he wasn't moved by what he saw. He just came back to the simplicity of the walk of faith. And so Jesus instructed his disciples a lot about unbelief. Jesus has told them it's because of your unbelief. And so Jesus had instructed his disciples and one of the major things he always talked to them about was the amount of unbelief. Mark chapter six and verse six says, Jesus marveled at their unbelief. Mark chapter 16 and verse 14 says, afterwards he appeared to the 11 as they sat to eat and abraded them for their unbelief. So what is God's instruction to us today? We are told in Hebrews chapter three and verse 19 that this area of unbelief is not new to the New Testament. It was found in the Old Testament and we can even go back and not just learn from the disciples that walked with Jesus. We can learn about Israel in the Old Testament in the wilderness because they were surrounded by so much unbelief. And in Hebrews chapter three and verse 19 and Hebrews chapter four and verse six, pointing back to Old Testament Israel, so we see they, that's Old Testament Israel, could not enter into the promised land because of unbelief. And notice it's mentioned here. And so again, let's jump down to another verse in there, chapter four and verse 11. So let us labor to enter into that rest, lest any man should fail after the same example of unbelief. God is simply saying here, the problem the disciples faced was not the first time it had been faced. It was faced in the Old Testament and it will be a problem from now on. But you know what? We're gonna talk about it again tomorrow, how your tiny speck of faith can still move mountains and still move trees and problems in your life. I'll see you tomorrow. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. Visit bobyandian.com. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.